sorry for me, baby. <laughs> Never in my life did I think I would end up in such a beautiful place, doing so many incredible things. So I'm sorry if I was uh, maybe a little too honest with you, but I wasted too much of my life being quiet. Welcome to the Graveyard Slot, where we talk about movies past their prime time. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more credit or if they should stay buried. I'm Sohini. And I'm Sarah, and today we're talking about Last Holiday. Last Holiday is a gender-bent modern adaptation of the 1950 Last Holiday. Sales associate and aspiring chef Georgia decides to turn her life around and indulge in all the things she's deprived herself of when she finds out that she only has three weeks to live. Cue a luxurious once-in-a-lifetime trip where the reserve Georgia lets her hair down. This movie was released in 2006. It was directed by Wayne Wang, who is a well-known Asian-American filmmaker and the director of the Joy Luck Club. So this movie just happens to be one of Sarah's favorites. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, it's like a holiday staple for you, right? This is my go-to holiday movie since I was young. I watched it last Christmas. I made you watch it with me one Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that was your first time seeing it, which was like such a surprise for me. To me, this is just like, I assumed everyone has seen it as if it's like always on TV on Christmas or something, even though I know that's not true. <laughs> this is my It's a Wonderful Life, which wow. is egregious to say maybe, but I will stand by that. <laughs> I feel like that might be a bit of a controversial statement considering the reviews that this movie has. Were the reviews you found particularly scathing? I mean, it's got a 55% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is like average, I guess. Criminal. <laughs> I think the reviews reflected that in the sense that some were pretty generous while others were directly contradicting that and were pretty scathing, I would say. So one that I found, which I thought was a little harsh, was from Slant Magazine, and it said, One might gladly exercise the film's carpe diem moral by concluding that life is too short for movies like Last Holiday. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I only remembered it because when I read it, I had the same reaction as you. Because <laughs> I was like, wow, that's a burn. <laughs> But I actually, I don't agree with it. The review that I found is from Salon, and this critic said, Watching Last Holiday, I kept waiting for the moment I could decree the movie truly terrible, the instant I could comfortably put my pen and notebook away and give it up for lost. But that moment never came. Partly because I never failed to take pleasure in Latifah, and partly because I couldn't shake the eerie feeling that the movie I was watching was something of a ghost from another time. Which I think definitely expresses that sentiment where you want to hate it just because it's not, you know, particularly clever or thought-provoking. I mean, debatable. But it's just so charming. There's not much to hate here. It's so inoffensive. And it's so genuine and heartfelt. I agree with that. And I think Queen Latifah's performance has a lot to do with that. Because I think the rest of the movie, when I was really focusing on it, didn't really stick with me that much. But I really did enjoy Queen Latifah's performance a lot. And the review that I found that I actually agree with is from Dallas Morning News, which said, The Queen is in fine form, but this particular throne is a A bit rickety, which I think it captures my sentiments towards this movie. I don't know that I agree with that, just in the sense that, like, it's not like Queen Latifah is making a bad movie good. She's elevating 
a decent movie, I think, for me. No, I get that. I think that's just down to personal taste. Yeah, so we will be discussing this movie in chronological order as usual. And we start by establishing the day-to-day of George's life. She goes to church and is part of the choir. She's a salesperson at a department store. And she's very frugal. She's very clean and particular. And we see her cook this delicious meal following a celebrity chef on TV. But she doesn't even eat it. She feeds her neighbor instead, who is this kid who lives with his grandfather. And she instead eats like microwavable lean meals because she doesn't let herself indulge in anything. We see how restrained she is because we see that she has this book of possibilities. Yeah. (laughs) Which is honestly very serial killer of her, but you know, you do you. Yeah, (laughs) cutting and pasting photos of her and Sean's heads. Like, Sean is the guy that she likes from her workplace, and she cuts pictures of her and Sean's heads onto other photos, which is... Wedding photos, might I add. (laughs) Okay, I was gonna say a bit creepy, but that's even more creepy. It's it's all overall a, a little creepy. Yeah. I was thinking, honestly, you could change the coloring and the music in this movie, and honestly, you would have a pretty decent thriller on your hands. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, but this book has pictures of all of the meals that she's cooked but doesn't eat, places that she wants to go to, and of course, like you said, pictures of her and her crush in an imagined wedding. I really like how they establish her life, and it shows how her being mindful of certain things have made her days less lively than it could be. Yeah, I really liked her introduction too. I think they do well in establishing her personality through the way that she interacts with her surroundings and with different people. Sometimes it's pretty small. You know, you can tell that she's a kind-hearted but slightly downtrodden <laughs> person. Yeah. There's something about this movie that makes me very nostalgic for this time period. Something about like the set dressing or something, but especially her cooking and following along to a celebrity chef on TV is very of its time and the lighting is really particular and I feel like it's very intentional or even if it wasn't it does serve this effect for me where it feels like a very regular everyday life something about the contrast like the colors really work in establishing this almost dull day-to-day without it being too overt can see that and I think the way they styled Queen Latifah ties into it as well the way they styled her is very every woman she pulls off that character really well like you said when she's walking home it's this overcast guy it's just like such a perfect snapshot of what her life is you know and I think without needing to see an extended version of her day-to-day life we can tell this is what her everyday is like in just her attitude and the way she goes about things and I think if we compare it to other similar movies of women living in big cities it's always like you said a lot more glamorous and unrealistic and you know wearing designer and flitting in and out of cabs and stuff so this is a nice change of pace so like i mentioned she works at a department store and she's in cookware she does these demos for the customers and she cooks some food and it's clear she's very generous and way too good for this place that treats her like 
like shit. And this is when we meet her crush, Sean. And it's immediately clear that he also has a crush on her. And they're so cute around each other. They're both nervous. <laughs> and I think they have great chemistry. Even from this first scene where they're just really nervous around each other, it works. Like, I buy it. Yeah, it's refreshing to see a couple like this that is more shy and more timid in the way they interact with each other rather than just jumping in headfirst. It's really cute and it's nice that they're both nervous because it's like throughout the movie they find the courage to admit their feelings. You're right. It's not just Georgia that gets this arc, it's Sean as well. It gives them somewhere to go, both of them together. I was thinking it's lucky that Sean sells grills and not something even more expensive <laughs> because <laughs> Georgia can't really think of anything else to say and just keeps buying grills from him apparently. <laughs> You know what I like actually about this detail? It lines up with the fact that like she kind of does have a pretty chunky savings. Because one of the things I noticed is like later on when she like spends all her money, how is she not already out of money? Like she keeps spending. But it actually makes sense. It's because of how frugal she was. But I think Sean is the exception, right? Because she's willing to break away from her strict spending habits for Sean. <laughs> Yeah, but while she's doing this demo, we meet her manager, who is a very stereotypical, like, business guy. I just, every time this guy opens his mouth, I'm like, just, I'm done. <laughs> just stop talking. <laughs> so annoying. I was expecting her to get praised for the way she was handling customers. She was so considerate towards them all. And she even remembered that one of the customers had an allergy or something. There's so much care in the way she's interacting with them. And he told her off. Awful. But we also get more awkward flirting with Sean. <laughs> he tries her food. They like bond over it a little. And aside from just initial attraction, they do have stuff to like talk about. He asks her at one point if she's gonna train to become a chef. And she says, I don't know, someday, maybe. And it shows how she's only just saving things for the future and missing out on the now. You know, it's something we all do. We save stuff for an imagined future, a possibility that may never come. I don't know, I really like that moment and what it says in the movie, in the narrative, and in the message, especially because it's set in such a mundane setting and conversation, but also because it happens during this early development in these two's relationship. Like, it speaks of possibility and potential, and it's both about possibilities, but it's like opposites. Like, one is like nurturing this possibility so that it can become a relationship, whereas the internal struggle that Georgia is going through is that she, instead of like nurturing these skills she just kind of locks them up for a possibility that it will never happen because she never does anything to work towards it i totally get what you're saying and i think it's symbolic also the fact that they're in a sort of fake kitchen because georgia does work in cookware and it's almost like in her daily life she's living out the life that she could have if she actually pursued her dreams instead of dismissing them as a hobby but it's 
kind of hollow because she's not doing what she really wants to be doing. The fake kitchen is such a great catch because it symbolizes so much. And especially because she's talking to Sean, it's like they're playing house. Yeah. Because the way it was shot is also like as if they're in a real kitchen. And then there are moments where like it's clearly not real. It's so well done. And actually, now that you mention it with the alternating shots, it's kind of like hinting at their growing relationship. Because right now, obviously, on the surface, they're just co-workers. But there's definitely something underneath and they're just too timid to explore that yet. There does also seem to be a bit of a disconnect between Georgia's personality in her day-to-day life and her attitude towards her dreams because she's so responsible and so methodical in the way she lives life. It seems really out of character for her to just say that maybe she'll get around to it one day, you know, and not have any concrete steps towards trying to achieve her dreams. I guess that's where the timidness and her lack of confidence comes in because it is convincing enough that she would be capable of it if she tried. And she's obviously got not just the skills, but also the discipline to get there if she wanted to. It's just because she doesn't think that she can reach that. She doesn't realize her full potential, I think. You pointed out exactly what I was kind of trying to convey with the possibilities thing in that to her, so many things are unattainable dreams. And now you can understand that the book of possibilities is there because she knows she'll never be able to do any of that. So we know what her perception is. Like to her, having a real relationship that will lead to, you know, a wedding and a honeymoon and Carla Vivari, blah, blah, blah. That's like a thing that will never happen, but I, I can always dream about it. And so she puts it in books of possibilities. So it's actually really interesting now that I think about it, what the book of possibilities does for us, the audience, because we get to see her perspective. I guess in a way, it's almost like a way to get these dreams out of her head and so that she can focus on her mundane reality and not be distracted by bigger ambitions. But while they're awkwardly flirting over, (laughs) what is it, like a bruschetta or something? (laughs) Georgia hits her head on one of the cabinet doors and is knocked out. (laughs) And Sean has to pick her up and carry her to the hospital, I guess. Yeah, so the doctor tells Georgia to get a CAT scan. And when he asks her if she's okay, it's so sad that she says it's kind of nice to be off my feet while she's getting a CAT scan done. If anything can convey how overworked and underpaid and how unrested (laughs) any of that. Like if anything can convey that, it's this. I mean, it's appalling, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, and I love that this is the line they choose to go with because it is such a real thing. Which, now that we mentioned that, I really love the perspective we get in this movie because it very much is from the perspective of someone in the working class and it is a very prominent theme throughout like exploring like the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie especially when we get to meet the guy who actually owns the company that Georgia works for because he is the man who has the power over her employment anyway the off my feet line is great I really love it and like you said like the fact that she's in a cat scan like it really highlights the severity of this fact of life. It's that ethos of I'll keep working until I can't possibly take any more. And it's, I mean, this exploration is done with a lot of nuance and empathy towards working class people, which you wouldn't expect from a holiday movie, but it's, you know, a nice addition. 
that is such a great point now that i think about it a lot of holiday movies is very extravagant and i mean this is as well but <laughs> yeah every time i watch home alone i'm like they live in a mansion so yeah, this movie definitely diverges from that, not only in its cast and the storyline, but also in the themes, which is pretty refreshing. Yeah, but the CAT scan comes out with really worrying results. It looks like she has a tumor of some sort, or multiple tumors even, and they tell her that she has a terminal illness, and she only has three weeks to live. Yeah. This is a reality also um, where initially they refer her to someone and she's like, is that a brain specialist? <laughs> and it turns out to be... It's an HMO officer. Yeah. Basically, the first thing they refer her to is how to deal with this financially instead of medically, which is a really unfortunate fact of life. And having it laid out here when it truly is a life and death moment, you understand how fucked up it is. Right. In the next scene, we see Georgia back at work, and I guess she's been missing for a while because her boss has been looking for her. And she goes into his office to try and explain what's going on, but he won't give her any attention. And I love this scene because <laughs> she finally stands up for herself, and it's so satisfying. His phone keeps ringing, and she's asking him nicely to listen to her, and he won't, so she smashes it. <laughs> With her shoe. Yes. Gotta love that for her. This is a turning point in Georgia's life and in her attitude towards life as well. I really like as well that the scene isn't too preachy somehow. Like, they pull it off. Yeah. After everything that she's been through and you can tell how much she's repressing, you finally want her to snap and you want her to take a stand for herself. So, even if it is predictable, which... I didn't really think that it was. It's still satisfying. Especially because the manager is such a jerk as well. <laughs> Furthermore, he's such a wannabe hotshot. He thinks he's the guy who owns the company. I don't know what his name is. Matthew Cragen. Cragen, yeah. He also uses the line about like, we're all a part of the same thing and we're all working towards the same thing. And it's just like ways to manipulate you. And I just really like how it's portrayed here because it's so clearly demonized. We're not kidding anyone, you know. It shows how the manager is taking advantage of her. Yeah. I think I've realized what makes this scene so satisfying because the way that she deals with him is sort of like the way that we wish as the audience that we could deal with people who treat us horribly the way that we wish we could stand up for ourselves in an unrestrained way. And I think that goes for the movie as a whole because... It is one giant wish fulfillment for not only Georgia, but for the audience as well, where we also wish that we could, you know, freely pursue the things that we want to pursue. And yeah, <laughs> stay at that amazing hotel and do whatever we want to do. Yeah, this movie is very much wish fulfillment and I love it for that. So Georgia storms out. And on her way out, Sean asks her on a date. And it's cruel irony because this is the moment she's been waiting for, but now she can't really accept because of her diagnosis and everything. And I think the date also is going to be in a couple weeks time. And of course, she can't promise that she's gonna go with him. Be alive. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it is really heartbreaking that the game is specifically in two weeks. And he is so sweet about asking her, like, the way he goes about it. I really like that she is clear about the fact that she wants to say yes. Because I think this could easily be a moment where they create a misunderstanding where they make him think that she doesn't like him and that's why she's turning him down. But she tells him that there's nothing more she would like to. I want Sean in my life. (laughs) He is really sweet and he's so respectful of her decision as well. He doesn't push her, he just accepts it. And he gives her the ticket anyway in case she changes her mind, which is, it's all very sweet. But anyway, I think it's also at this point that you can slowly start to see a change in George's attitude towards this whole situation because so far she's just been devastated but after confronting her boss you can see her start to get angrier (laughs) at the whole thing which culminates in the next scene at the church choir this anger comes out when she's in her choir at church and it's like she's going through the five stages of grief within that one number (laughs) and I love it so much now she knows she deserves better and she's finally breaking out of her shell even in the sense of how it's portrayed through her performance it's like such a great way to show it and I love that everyone can immediately relate to her (laughs) and her outburst because it's actually really believable because it's not like she's going off about like having a brain tumor yeah and it's a really fit way for her character to get things off her chest because we already know that she's in the choir and so it's like within these parameters that have been established and that we know about her character. What I found really funny is that everyone went along with the why me part of it but when Georgia got more specific about her situation they all just sort of went quiet. And just kind of went along with it. But that part was really funny to me. And I also really like her exit in this scene. Because she's the one who starts up the whole performance in the first place with the outburst. But it's like everyone else takes over and she just blends into the background again. And I think this is a great way of showing her just starting to come out of her shell. Because she very physically does so as well. In the first scene when we saw her in the choir, she was standing in the back. She was being told she's not singing loud enough. And this is a very direct contrast to that but at the end of the scene I also really like that she just melts right back in and the focus shifts from her again. It all feels very realistic and I like that she doesn't just embrace that spotlight and become the center of attention all of a sudden the way that she does when she has her transformation in Prague. That's a great point. It also like brings to my attention how like she starts it off but then she hands it off as if saying like you know this is the struggle of a people like a majority of people and I am merely one example. That fact of life is just like very common and especially because it's like in a church it's like where a lot of people say air their grievances or just like contemplate their lot in life. It's a really well done scene, I think. Yeah. She finally decides to go on her dream trip and she takes out all of her savings and you know the guy at the bank is like, oh, I'm sure you have very reasonable plans. And in reality, something like that would make them stop giving you the money because they'll think that you're about to do something really irresponsible or drastic. If he knows her in any capacity, he's like, oh, you're gonna buy another grill, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good line. So he Oh my god, that's so funny. 
Yeah, she takes a flight to Prague and there's this scene where she's in the airplane and there's very little leg room. The line that really gets me is when the flight attendant tells her that if she had chosen to fly first class, she would have had plenty of room. As if it's a choice for everyone. Like, if everyone could, they would. No one would sit in the tiny cramped economy if they could help it. There's so much wrong with that statement. Yeah. But finally, she ends up taking him up on it. She's like, I have money to burn. I have death to greet. (laughs) I would have loved to see his face when she actually does just get up and go. (laughs) Right. But an even bigger splurge is the helicopter she takes to the hotel. In the movie, it's definitely a matter of convenience. But to me, it definitely reminded me of how valuable her time is now. Because the reason that she takes the helicopter is that she has to wait like two hours or something for her transport to the hotel. And, you know, she only has three weeks to live. (laughs) Yep. I actually saw this review from Empire Magazine that said, money can buy you happiness in this inferior remake. And I think that's kind of a misunderstanding of the movie. Because like in this instance, on the surface, it is like, oh, if you've got money, you can afford to avoid traffic and all that. And that is true to some degree, but like, that's not the main point of the movie. The point is that Georgia is finally learning to value her time. And alongside that, also to value herself and do the things that make her happy, do the things that she wants to do. And it just so happens that it's these extravagant things, but it doesn't have to be. They even spell it out later on in the movie where Gunther, you know, asks her like, why are you here with these awful people? Like we understand as the audience and the movie definitely understands that it's not a money bites happiness kind of thing. It's a choosing your own path and being intentional with what you do and the people you surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. So Georgia ends up taking the helicopter to her hotel and it's beautiful. We see the kind of people that stay there. A senator, we see a congressman. Matthew Cragen. Matthew Cragen himself. (laughs) The man, the myth, the legend. (laughs) But we also see the people working at the hotel. They talk about their guests. Yeah, apparently the last person to have arrived by helicopter was Sir Elton John. (laughs) Which already puts Georgia in quite high esteem in their eyes. They just assume that she must be insanely rich and from high social standing. There is this moment where the guy who's helping her with her bags mentions the senator. And she makes a remark about how he missed a meeting with her. And she's talking about his planned visit to her church that we heard about earlier in the movie. When the church had to announce that the senator is no longer visiting them. And it creates this false impression in the staff that she knows the senator. Yeah. And she ends up upgrading her room again because she doesn't have to wait a few hours. And this is when my conspiracy theory starts to form. (laughs) Which is like, I wonder if she's taking all of these upgrades and committing to spending all of this money because she knows she'll be dead by the time they charge her. Oh my god. (laughs) Because even just at this point, I was already concerned about her running out of money and we're at the very beginning of her trip but she's already spent so much money i don't know either she saved a lot by (laughs) using coupons Well, the answer is yes, but that has to mean that she has saved enough for the surgery. I guess realistically, she does have to have enough money to pay for everything and then also make it 
back home. But I guess it wouldn't be as wish-fulfilling as it is. Yeah. I mean, it's not a real criticism. I'm just like, that is a lot of money. It is. Yeah, it is. But we get to see a montage of her luxuriating in this hotel. I love a good montage. Yeah, a true sign of excellence in a TGS movie. (laughs) Yeah, hallmark of excellence. Because of how restrained she was before, it's so freeing to see her like this. But, you know, on the subject of the staff, I love how conversational she is with them and how kind. Again, it goes to show, like, she's more like them than she is like the other guests. And... It's hard to ignore the way Georgia treats them, the way Georgia talks to them, because even though the other people aren't mean, I mean, with a few exceptions, but it is a very distinctly different way. It's just so apparent. Yeah, definitely. I guess a lot of it stems from compassion because she's been there not too long ago and also that she is a kind person too. (laughs) There is that as well. I think it's more that there's an absence of thinking certain types of people are below her. Yeah, true. The superiority complex. (laughs) One of the best montages though of this movie is... The shopping montage. She goes all pretty woman and she tries out all these dresses. And so he is so upset that the purple <laughs> dress she tries on is not the one that she wears to dinner. I'm still upset that she didn't buy the purple dress. It's a travesty. If you're spending your last dime, you have to spend it on that dress. The purple looked so elegant and regal. The red was too, well, it was pretty too, but. It's an obvious choice. Yeah, it's like. I'm gonna be bold now, and so of course I have to wear red. But yeah, she goes to dinner in this beautiful red dress, and she honestly looks amazing. Like, I cannot express how beautiful she looks. She's just styled really well. It She still looks like herself, but just more fancy. <laughs> I don't know. And it's also like, it's really nice to see a character with not skinny body type be styled the same way that a skinny body type would be because usually usually when it comes to characters who have fuller bodies the tendency is to hide them and make them wear frumpier clothes but she was styled so well and the clothes fit her so well also it it just she looked really beautiful i think i gasped <laughs> each time i watched the movie it's so pretty <laughs> it's also one hell of an entrance mhm it's no wonder that everyone takes notice of her as soon as she walks in at this dinner, she has, you know, a table all to herself because she's not there with anyone. But at another table is actually the group of people that we will come to know, consisting of the senator. And his wife. And Cragen and his mistress. And, you know, they're very uppity. They're ordering all of these dishes with a million substitutions. And we see Georgia instead order all of the specials (laughs) just as the chef wants and it's really interesting now that I think about it because in the moment I just focused on what the movie was showing me which is the contrast between Georgia indulging in all of this food versus the rich people but now that I think about it I'm more interested in the take of how Georgia being really careful about what she eats pre-diagnosis is contrasted against this very similar attitude but it's inherently different that's interesting. Or do you think they have the same reasoning? I think it's very different. I don't think it's exactly the same reasoning for them being at this fancy dinner. It's much more taking what they have for granted and expecting people to work around their requirements, catering to their very specific requirements. Also, I think this is another instance of this movie not having the message of money can buy you happiness because these people have money, but there's such a direct contrast between 
between them and the way that Georgia is indulging in this experience and making the most of it. And the other guests are just too caught up in the specificities of their demands and their expectations that they're not really making the most of this privilege that they have. Now that you put it that way, it also touches on the question of respect because the chef is obviously very accomplished and this is his art and they chose to eat here clearly because of the chef but rather than it's because of his art because you respect him it's just for the notoriety and the appearance of you know knowing him and being his friend and everything because at one point Matthew Cragen calls over the chef so that he can show off to the table that he knows him and that they're friendly (laughs) but at this point The chef is so relieved that somebody out there (laughs) is ordering his food as he'd like to serve it that he's actually come out to greet Georgia. And they quickly strike up a friendship. I do really like how what they highlight here is actually Matthew's jealousy of the attention and being the most important. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially because there's no reason for him to be so malicious towards Georgia otherwise. And I think that fact was really hammered home for me by the end of this movie when he climbs onto the edge of the window (laughs) just because he's not getting enough attention. And that's interesting, honestly. The fact that that's why he's jealous of Georgia is because of attention. Yeah, it's not about being the best. Yeah, or like having the most money or anything like that. Or having status, it's attention. Another lovely thing here is how all the misunderstandings build on top of each other. But um, Matthew thinks that the senator knows Georgia. And the senator doesn't know Georgia, so he says that he (laughs) he doesn't know her. (laughs) But now Matthew thinks that he's lying. It's like all of this distrust sewn into his perception of everyone around him. Not only that, but like it also adds something to the senator because not senator thinks that, oh, do I know Georgia? Like, yeah. Meanwhile, you know, Georgia's like at the other table <laughs> talking to the chef and sharing her own local recipes with him. She never acts like she isn't worthy of his time. I think just like how you said, she doesn't have that inclination to view certain people as below her. She also doesn't seem to have that inclination to pander to people that she thinks are at a higher station. She treats pretty much everyone around her equally and the way that she thinks they deserve to be treated according to their behavior. And so because of the way that she quickly bonds with the chef over food she just treats him as a friend that she might trade recipes with which I think is really endearing yeah it is actually not that you've put it that way it goes to show that there is a difference between Georgia letting people take her for granted and Georgia not knowing her worth because it's clear that she does and I like the complexity that we get with that because just because that's the case doesn't mean that you're overly confident as a person like those are two very different things that are often conflated but I like that those are both traits that are present in her character that's a really great point she goes to the spa and there's this part where she's in like a jacuzzi kind of thing and the senator shows up and it's definitely supposed to portray how the senator is trying to get close to somebody he thinks is very important and to rub elbows with them and act as if they have an established relationship. I just really like the whole thread about him missing a local commitment he'd make to his constituents and the way Georgia expresses this disappointment because you can see that even though his response to it is clearly practiced and it's like a PR (laughs) answer, you can see that 
it lands with him. I really love this thread with the senator of him kind of losing touch with the people that got him to where he is and we see more of this later on. Yeah, I don't know if I necessarily see how well it ties into Georgia's story, but it is its own well-established thread and I think they do a fairly decent job of building on it and fleshing out the characters also. What I really liked about this whole situation is the way the rumors build so quickly around Georgia without her ever really saying anything. It was just that one offhanded comment in the beginning when she arrived. Not only that, she's been specifically honest. She never hides anything about herself. She just doesn't go out of her way to tell people anything either. Everything they know is just assumed by them. She's just there to enjoy her holiday and her time there. Everything people know about her is just stuff they assume based off of their perception of her and it's just really interesting to see the way that it builds. I agree but she says like specifics that in a regular setting people would understand what she means. When she talks about coupons they think that she's talking about bonds yeah yeah everything's clouded by what they think of her rather than what she's actually saying exactly there's this disconnect between different classes and there's a language that people have within their communities that doesn't always translate and i love how that is utilized here i agree with that part i still don't think that she goes out of her way to tell anyone because i don't think she feels like she owes anyone any information and she She's socializing and everything. She's friendly, but I still think that she's not like looking to trade life stories with anyone. <laughs> but after this, we get our introduction to Gunther, who is like her butler or something for her suite. But she goes snowboarding and things get wild real quick. <laughs> yep. Yeah, she accidentally works her way into a black diamond slope, which is for expert skiers and snowboarders. And she's like taking down people with her and it's chaos. Matthew and his group kind of see her fly past and Matthew decides to go after her very recklessly. So the fact that he wouldn't usually go down this slope and he still goes after Georgia is, I think, showing how reckless he's becoming and how obsessive he's becoming. Yeah. <laughs> You were talking about the disconnect, right, between Georgia and people like Matthew Cragen who have this difference in their language and general perception to things. But I think there's also a second layer of disconnect given the fact that we know that Georgia has a very limited time and no one else knows. And so when she basically drags Matthew Cragen down the slope with her, right, and once they finally manage to come to a stop, he threatens her with court procedures for the next two years and she just brushes it off like it's nothing and to other people it's like a sign of bravado whereas we know that the actual reason is something very different so it's even more reason for people to misunderstand Georgia even when she's being totally straight with them yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just more opportunity for them to think that she's something that she's not you're right but while she and Matthew seem to increasingly butt heads <laughs> she and his mistress actually kind of bond yeah her name is allison burns they meet at the spa and we get a look at allison's situation where she's kind of stuck but georgia like she does everything just takes it at face value and she's like quit you don't have a degree <laughs> go get it 
George's situation does kind of give a really refreshing perspective because I did understand where Allison was coming from. So I was just as surprised as she was that Georgia just immediately pulled out what sounds like a really simple solution. Obviously, it's harder than that, but it's bare bones. It's definitely something really actionable. Yeah, I think a part of it is also your choice feeling validated because it's coming from someone else. Because I'm sure Allison must have thought to herself that she could go back to school, but maybe that wasn't the most acceptable choice in her head or in her circles. And maybe she was too preoccupied with what other people think about herself because that is a sentiment that she expresses to Georgia. So even if it is an obvious option, maybe it doesn't feel like something you can pursue until someone agrees with you. (laughs) Someone is on your side. That's a great point. And I think it's really nice the way Georgia helps Allison and also others around her gain more perspective. It's something as simple as her talking to the receptionist about the beautiful ceiling in the hotel that the receptionist has never noticed. And then later on, we see her admiring it. And it's just so nice the way that she builds these relationships and the way she positively influences people around her. But when Georgia goes base jumping, Matthew, (laughs) he can't be outdone, so he decides to go with her. Except, Georgia jumps and he doesn't. Yeah, and he insists it's because of a mechanical failure. Yeah. (laughs) It was really funny to me that he shouts over at the others watching about whether the camera is on or not. And then they just film him go over the fence and then go back. (laughs) It's all for show. Because Georgia does it just so she can have the experience, right? But of course he's gotta be filming it and so he can show off about it. He only did it so he can outdo her. And then he's got evidence that he did. What's funny to me is that the guide is so surprised that Matthew backs out (laughs) after practically telling him people died doing this. That's literally the last thing Georgia hears before she jumps. I guess she doesn't have as much to fear, but she's still very brave. We do see Georgia and the chef shopping around the market and it's clear they've really formed a close friendship. This movie is so heartfelt and like not cynical and they pull it off enough that it's not nauseating. It's just really grounded in spite of all the extravagance and the wish fulfillment. It's got a lot of human moments. Yeah, exactly. Again, Queen Latifah's performance I think has a lot to do with that. She brings so much warmth to the role and to the character and the way she portrays Georgia is just filled with kindness and everything every all the warm things (laughs) (laughs) also in the scene what I really liked is like her clothing is a really bright pop of color amongst all the browns and grays of the shot and I absolutely love it Mm. but following this is actually quite an emotional scene where she starts writing goodbye letters to her loved ones detailing her situation and what I noticed is that in the background she had brought with her the tickets from Sean. Yeah, the fact that she threw away her book of possibilities but this is the one possibility that she clung on to. In direct contrast to the previous scene where she's writing these letters she is convinced by the others minus Matthew to go to the casino. And they're at the roulette table and long story short, she wins an insane amount of money. But she wins so much money that like she definitely earned enough money for her operation. Yeah. (laughs) But while all this is happening, Gunther actually found her letters because (laughs) she snoops, which is actually a really fun detail that I liked about it. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's not something that she has against Georgia in particular. She's so matter of fact about it when Georgia asks. She's like, yeah, I look through everyone's stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And it's doubly funny to me that Matthew bribes her to try and get information on Georgia when she would have done it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If he had just been as friendly with her as Georgia is with everyone, maybe he could have struck up a conversation and found stuff out for free. But of course, he tries to use his money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the staff gossip so much. All he had to do was listen (laughs) and he would have known. But a lot of things happen during this night. She also has a heart-to-heart with the senator. And this is what I was referring to earlier. And I love where this is set as well. They're outside on this bridge and it's really dark. And there are these twinkling lights. And they have a really frank discussion about what the senator is doing and has been doing and will be doing in his role. Specifically in regards to her community and his constituents. And the line that really struck me was when she says, You're not home that much anymore to the senator and i think that just highlights the heart of this ongoing thread you know they talk about how they need to put in more energy into re-election but that's in place of actually bettering things for the community and he says something along the lines of what he's doing being the political reality and georgia counters with only having time for reality realities and it's this really interesting conversation because this whole movie has been so much about the disconnect between the working class and the upper class and their different perspectives. This moment is so genuine and clearly between two people who understand the exact same thing and yet they are still at odds in this respect and you see the ugly truth of what the senator is doing. It's more about holding on to that influence rather than using the influence for good. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great observation. I think initially I didn't pay that much attention to the parallels between the senator and Georgia, but now that you describe it that way, I think it adds a great layer to Georgia's story and because both of them have such similar backgrounds, maybe we can contrast the approaches that they choose to take in their respective fields, because maybe Georgia could be in a similar situation to the senators had she chosen to compromise on some of her values. But instead, she chooses to take a very human approach, whereas for the senator, it's more about himself. Yeah, that's definitely it. The thread with the senator and how it ties into Georgia's story, I think, is a lot about how to get to a certain place in life. Sometimes you have to mold yourself into something more acceptable to either the masses or the upper class. You know, he's willing to sacrifice certain things about his life and certain things about himself to be able to be accepted in a certain circle. And having the senator there is a great way to explore how somebody with her upbringing can cross over to a different kind of social circle and what they have to give up to get there and the illusion of one day you can help the people but that's not that's never gonna happen like that's how it ties back into Georgia's story that's interesting but what's been happening at home is that Sean (laughs) has been looking for her and he went to her home and (laughs) found out about the book of possibilities because her kid neighbor shows it to him which is so mortifying (laughs) it is yeah and the fact that he still feels the same way about her after 
seeing it, I think, just goes to show that, well, either he's got his own book of possibilities at home, or he must genuinely really like her. That would be so funny if they're that similar. If he also has one, it makes it less creepy and more, like, nerdy. Like, they're both nerdy scrapbookers or something. (laughs) You like scrapbooking? I like scrapbooking. (laughs) They finish each other's scrapbooks. (laughs) The funny thing is, he goes after her to Harlowey Ferry, and imagine if the kid had gotten it wrong and like showed him a different brochure of a different hotel in a different country. He definitely took a big risk because the kid could have been like, um, I think she went to Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> but he does go after her and he's so nervous about flying. The kid sitting next to him was so funny. He was like, it helps if you color. I wish we had gotten a shot of him coloring. Yeah. That's what I thought too, because he looks at the kid like, are you serious right now? But if we had even seen him stuffing like a coloring book page in his pocket as he's coming out of the airport, (laughs) you would have been funny. I would have loved that. But Sean's arrival actually coincides with Georgia leaving. However, Faith decides that they must get together. They're just too cute. They cannot (laughs) miss this chance. They're scrapbooking soulmates. (laughs) Yeah. So suddenly there's a landslide. So Georgia goes back to the hotel. Sean decides to walk. (laughs) Yeah. He's lucky he doesn't die. Seriously. So... While Sean is trekking his way to the hotel, Georgia helps out the chef in the kitchen for the New Year's dinner party. What we find out is that the chef knows about her predicament, and it's a really touching scene. It's just like a like this dawning grief for him, and it's a situation where you start grieving before you've even lost the person because you know it's coming. Yeah, you can tell he feels for Georgia and I think part of his reaction is probably also grieving what could have been the friendship that he could have had with Georgia but they just don't have the time and that alongside just him I guess feeling for the pain that she must be going through it definitely makes for a very touching scene and their sincerity for each other is also very touching the thing I did like about this scene the moment before he finds out they're cooking together and he has this bit of dialogue which felt a bit clumsy to me there's a metaphor with a turnip where he's equating self-made women with the underappreciated turnip and he's like you know life is easy if you're born a truffle or a shiitake mushroom but and then he makes this comparison and i don't think that worked very well that sounds very clunky and a little shoehorned yeah i think they made strong enough points about the working class and the nuances on top of that that come from being black or being a woman and I don't think they needed to address it like this. Yeah. That's what kind of ruined the scene for me a bit but other than that I think it was pretty well done. I agree with you. But so she goes to the New Year's Eve party and Matthew at this point has found out her last job and he acts as if he's uncovering a secret (laughs) when that's not the case and he basically adds her to their circle i have mixed feelings about this scene because the moment this happens first of all everyone is in disbelief but also they literally say shit like georgia tell us it's not true as if (laughs) 
Matthew is uncovering like a dirty secret and I'm like it's clear to me like what they think of somebody like Georgia which is so unbelievable and what's truly maddening to me is the fact that at this point we've established that they've each formed a bond with her that like it shouldn't feel like a betrayal especially coming from the senator because they've had such frank conversations about their upbringing but like he has apparently become the kind of person that would have looked down on someone like Georgia, which is unbelievable. I'm just so upset. And they don't change this attitude at all until she reveals that she's terminally ill. And that almost makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does make it worse. I agree with everything you said. Maybe it was meant to be this way. Like, at the end of the day, no matter how much you think these people will quote-unquote accept you or whatever, when it comes down to it, they'll still treat you like dirt. Yeah, even if you compromise parts of your identity and values the way the senator did, or even if you stay true to who you are the way Georgia did, they see what they want to see, basically, and they will abandon you at the earliest possibility. Oh, the way they react taints every interaction they've had in the past as well. If I think back to the conversation between Georgia and Allison, it truly felt like they could have been friends. I can't tell if this is like a genius move on the part of the writing <laughs> and it's like a really harsh reality or if it's a failure actually. I guess there's no way to know but considering the way this movie ends and the way it wraps everything up I don't think they were making a scathing commentary in this case and I do think that it was just supposed to be like a shocking moment when he quote reveals the truth about Georgia being an imposter but I don't think they put that much thought behind it. <laughs> yeah that's fair. The ending does frame these people as good guys so everyone leaves and matthew is a little drama queen <laughs> <laughs> he's spending new year's alone because everyone hates him now and he decides to go on a window ledge and either attempt to jump or merely threaten to jump <laughs> yeah i think it's the latter <laughs> georgia feels the need to go out there and talk him down knowing full well that she is his most hated person <laughs> Maybe she went to push him over the edge. <laughs> oh, that's a great point. But she goes out there and she like talks him down. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to think of this scene. I couldn't quite tell the purpose of it. I understand it's supposed to be a turning point for Matthew, I guess. He says he's going to try and turn his life around or be a better person or whatever it is. But I don't know that it would serve any purpose in the long run. <laughs> I feel similarly. Just because I don't think what has happened is serious enough for him to have this moment of realization. Yeah, that might just be it. Because it's almost like he learns to see Georgia as more of a person and not someone to look down on. But that's just Georgia. What about everyone else working in the service industry? What about everyone else who's not as rich as you? There's not enough reason for him to to change his perspective. He's been really shitty throughout the whole movie. And I don't think he has that great of a redemption arc. Yeah, me neither. But yeah, Sean shows up, finally. <laughs> How many days has he been traveling for? <laughs> I thought he would be lost in the mountains somewhere. 
my only thing is like Sean joins them on the ledge. And yeah. I just at this point it's like everyone has forgotten that Matthew is trying to jump from this window ledge and they're just hanging out. Yeah. Uh, there's these two guys on the ground and one of them was like, We're the only ones not out there. <laughs> and they're like, Should we go up? A really important moment is that the hotel gets a fax that the CAT scan was wrong and Georgia isn't dying after all. So she yells, I'm gonna live. And everyone cheers because they think <laughs> that she is the one who's gonna jump and she like decides against it. Did you catch that? Oh, no, I didn't. That actually makes a lot more sense because I was like, I mean, how would they know anything? Yeah. So everything is tied up with a neat bow after this. We find out that... Georgia ends up opening her own restaurant and we see the opening night and everyone is there. Chef DDA is there and her actual favorite chef also ends up <laughs> attending. Yeah, Chef DDA is old yeah. news. We've got this bigger, better celebrity. They've got Chef DDA working back there. <laughs> they're not even like, oh, Chef DDA, guest of honor. No, they've shoved him in the kitchen. They're like, work. <laughs> We want a reservation. We have a waiting list of six months. You have to be on the list. <laughs> Only my favorite chefs are on the list. <laughs> but yeah, and we see that Georgia labels her book of possibilities, her book of realities. Uh, it's that reality thing coming back again. Like, you know, the reality reality line. Mm. It's a thread that keeps coming up and becomes the bookend of the story, which is really lovely, I think. You're right. Because in that scene, she had to focus on reality, reality, because she thought she was terminally ill. But now she's learned to grasp reality, no matter the amount of time she has to do so. That was a great way to show how far she's come. Although I do wonder whether it might have been more realistic if she had labeled it book of goals instead because surely she hasn't achieved everything in the list yeah that's a great point to be fair now that you mentioned that it's a call back to that line maybe it's fine <laughs> the way it is <laughs> but we get to see what happens to each of the characters i guess it fits the comfort movie thing that we get to see that each character has their own positive journey well most of them do some of them don't <laughs> yeah in absurd conclusion, Sean actually has his own book of possibilities <laughs> and he and Georgia become a couple of nerdy scrapbookers. <laughs> and in another absurd conclusion, Chef Didier has been replaced by Georgia's actual favorite chef. I bet she got tired of his turnip stew or whatever it was. She was probably like, <laughs> stop talking about self-made women every time you cook turnip stew. She's banned turnips <laughs> from her restaurants, actually. It's like every time he sees turnips, he keeps talking about like feminism or whatever. <laughs> so clearly, I absolutely love this movie. And my opinions on it definitely haven't changed. If anything, I like it more and more. And it still makes me so happy. <laughs> it has that warm, cozy feel to it that I look for during the holidays. And it conveys that really heartfelt message that you would usually find in holiday movies that's about, you know, kindness and doing good but without losing its lightheartedness, I highly recommend this movie. And I think you don't have to put in the effort to suspend your disbelief. They make it grounded enough. It's a really hard movie to dislike. And you should at least 
give it a try. Yeah, I agree. I think considering the various themes that it explores, it could have gotten very heavy. Or on the other hand, it could have also come off as kind of insincere while trying to balance these really important subjects with the humor. But I think it managed to pull both off really well, where it doesn't feel, in most cases, too heavy-handed. And they managed to create these really nuanced characters that they use as vehicles to explore these different themes. And it's so different for a holiday movie as well. I do think it's got some weaknesses in terms of like it ties everything neatly in a bow at the end and parts of it can be a little bit cheesy or maybe the script isn't the most remarkable thing but despite all of that it does stand up well among the other holiday movies that we have. It definitely isn't at that level of cheesiness or at that level of cloying sweetness and I think it's got a lot of layers to explore which I hadn't realized at my first watch but I mean even if you don't dig that deep I think it's just a fun time. It's a feel-good movie, it's very heartwarming and comforting and it's definitely worth a watch just for that so uh, yeah I also recommend it. Next time we'll be discussing Barbie and the Nutcracker. If you have any thoughts to share on the movie, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Twitter and Instagram, or email us at thegraveyardslot at gmail.com so we can share on the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot.